0: Chapter 33, verses 18 through 22. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, and those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Even as we put our hope in you.
1: If you would, please be standing as we sing this next. To overcome.
0: When the heat of life intensifies, God wants to work in your life and make you resilient.
2: I am so thankful that we take the time every year to pray over our students and our educators. What an opportunity that is for us to remind ourselves and each other of what truly is important and how we are on a mission to make disciples. And so students, educators, no matter who you are, all of us, as we go into school or work or family or society or community or organizations, whatever it is, it's really not about us. It's so easy to think that it is. I I need this or I want that or I want to be happy or I'm uncomfortable. It's about what God can do in us and what God can do through us. See, we're part of a bigger story, not just our story, but God's story. And God is doing amazing things if we would just open our eyes and make ourselves available to him. And I hope that that's what we will do this year, that we will renew our commitment to God and to work in his kingdom, to be disciples who are growing closer and closer into the image of Christ, but also, as we do that, reaching out and making disciples, making Christ known in our world we have opportunities every day. So we will continue to pray for all of our students, for all of our educators, and we feel privileged and honored to do that. We do wanna spend a few minutes in the word of God this morning, and hopefully a word of encouragement to you as you enter this week, not just if you're an educator or a student, but for all of us. So if you have a Bible, you might open it up to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16 will be our text this morning. So in my fingers right now, although you can't see it, is a little grain of sugar. I have a bag of sugar up here. I got a little grain of sugar out of the bag and I'm holding a little grain of sugar. It is invisible to you. If you were standing right here, you might be able to see it. My eyes aren't great, even I'm struggling to see it, but if the light catches it just right, I can see it in my fingers. A single tiny grain of sugar. So in many ways it's invisible, but it's also insignificant, isn't it? I mean, does anyone just put one grain of sugar in your cup of coffee? (laughs) Are there any recipes for cookies or cakes that just call for one granule of sugar? I don't think so. If it is, I don't wanna taste that kind of cookie or cake, right? And so how many grains of sugar do you think or in a bag of sugar like this. We could have one of those contests, right, where you fill out the paper and the winner gets a prize like a bag of sugar, but we won't do that. I did the math. There is something like 180 million grains of sugar in this bag of sugar. 180 million, wow, that was good. 180 million grains of sugar in that bag of sugar. Somebody at First Severus said, That was a sweet sermon you had. (laughs) Sorry, I won't do that again. And so, if, think about this for a minute. If each of these grains of sugar represented you and me, if we were represented by this one tiny grain of sugar, how many of these bags would it take to represent the world's population? I did the math. It would take about 45 bags of sugar to represent the nearly 8 billion people on this planet. Can you imagine, I almost wish we had 45 bags of sugar, but I didn't want to buy or carry 45 bags of sugar. But if we did and we had a huge barrel or a wheelbarrow or a a giant bowl or 45 bowls and we just kept pouring sugar, that is a lot of sugar. And I wanted you to see this. I mean, we could talk about this, but I wanted you to see it as a visual representation of something that sometimes overwhelms us. I wanted you to see the reality of something that sometimes disturbs us. Do you ever feel lost in a sea of humanity? Do you ever feel like I am one of nearly eight billion people? Do I really matter? It's so easy sometimes to feel invisible. It's so easy sometimes to feel insignificant. Like on my own, I have nothing to offer. No one wants me. No one likes me. I'm not a part of anything. It's so easy to feel that way. And no one wants to feel that way. We want to be seen. We want to be acknowledged. We want our pain to be validated. We want our ideas to be heard. We want to have a voice. We want to have a place. No one wants to feel that way. And yet we live in a world that often pushes people aside, especially people who have nothing to offer in their minds, the ones who are doing the pushing, the ones in places of power. Maybe you know what it's like to feel that way, to feel insignificant, to feel invisible, to be pushed aside, to be disregarded, to be ignored. Many people know what it's like to feel that way. And if that's the case, I hope that you will listen to the word that God has for you today. In Genesis chapter 16, the main characters in the story are a man named Abram and his wife named Sarai before they become Abraham and Sarah. And although they are the main characters, God does a great job of shining the spotlight on someone else, someone who felt insignificant, someone who felt invisible, someone who was mistreated and pushed away. You see, in the story, Abram and Sarai were promised by God to have a child. And this child was going to be the child of promise through which nations would be blessed. All nations would be blessed. But that had been something like 10 years ago. And Abram and Sarai are not getting any younger. He's about 85 years old. She's about 75 years old. In case you didn't know, not many 75-year-olds leave on maternity leave from their job. They are getting impatient. And so Sarah has an idea. She decides to take matters into her own hands. This isn't the first time that she and her husband would do this. They would often backseat drive for God, not trusting his wisdom, not trusting his timetable. They would try to take over. So Sarah tries to fast track the plan to have a child. And the idea is that she would take her maidservant, this Egyptian slave girl named Hagar, and give her to her husband to be his wife so she could have a child not just a child she could have the child of promise you see Sarah I stepped in and said God I got this don't worry I'm in control she hatches this plan and from all human perspective it seems to work Hagar becomes pregnant And when she becomes pregnant, now all of a sudden it seems maybe she has a place of prominence. Maybe she has more influence. Maybe more people are looking at her. Well, she turns on Sarai. And she begins to despise her, the text says. Maybe she's gloating. Maybe she's bragging because she has something that Sarai doesn't have, a child on the way. We don't know exactly what she does, but we know she despises Sarai. Sarai doesn't like it. This was her idea, but she doesn't like how it's gone. And she goes to the one who who she feels is responsible. Notice in chapter 16, verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. (laughs) What a mess. What a mess. Isn't that what happens when we try to take over for God? Isn't that what happens when we get impatient? We know God has promised us things, but we say, I- I'd rather you use my timetable. God, don't worry about it. I'll take over from here. And we act as though we know more, or we have more power, or we know what's best for us or in the world. And it usually turns out a mess. It's certainly what happens here. And I wonder sometimes if God is not just thinking as he looks down on us, will you just trust me? (laughs) Will you just learn to wait? Will you just be patient? Have I not been faithful to you? And yet Sarai and Abram take matters into their own hands. When Sarai complains to her husband, what does he do? Being the spiritual leader he is, he says, ah, you deal with it. You treat her however you want to treat her. Do whatever you want to do. In verse 6, we find out what happens. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Sarah says, I don't like this anymore. She begins to mistreat Hagar, the person she put in the place that she's in. Hagar says, I've had enough. And she leaves. Now, one of the things you need to know about this story that is so important, I think, is that throughout this story, Hagar is passive. She really has very little voice or say she was a slave girl in Egypt she was taken out of her home she probably had no choice in being the wife of Abram and she had no decision to make probably when it came to being a surrogate mother for this child of promise and now she's being mistreated so she really has no control she has no voice she has no action that she can take other than to do what to do what she does and that is to leave we don't know where she's going maybe she's trying to go back home maybe she's going to Egypt maybe she doesn't even know where she's going but she leaves and while our attention is on the main characters Abram and Sarai and all the drama that is unfolding there and there is a lot of drama it is captivating it is disturbing it is like watching a bad reality show you can't look away and yet God looks away God is looking somewhere else. I want you to see where God is looking. Chapter 16, verse 7. Remember, Hagar has left. She's out in the desert. We don't know if she knows where she's going. Here's what happens. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? That's a big question, isn't it? Sometimes we need to be confronted with that question because sometimes we are running from something. What is it we are running from? But more importantly, where are we going? Where are we going? It continues, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants' so much that they will be too numerous to count you see in her despair Hagar can only speak of the past she can only answer the part of the question where have you come from I've come from that place where they are mistreating me where they treat me as as though I don't matter I'm insignificant I'm invisible she doesn't even seemingly get to where she's going maybe she doesn't know where she's going But I want you to notice what happens God knows where she is going God has a plan for her and he points her to a future that is important and he assures her that he sees her struggle he acknowledges her pain he understands her isolation you see he sees her and he validates her he has plans for her he says you're going to have this child his name will be Ishmael which means God hears me. It's amazing how God uses the imperfections of humans like you and me to accomplish his perfect will. Isn't that amazing when you stop and think about that? That we in our pride, and our stubbornness, in our impatience, in our sinfulness, we decide to do things outside of the will of God, outside of the ways of God. And yet God can orchestrate all of those things and still accomplish his perfect will. That is amazing. And what the messenger of God tells Hagar is, this will be a part of the plan of God. Specifically, this son of yours. He will be a part of of this unfolding story of God's people. You see, she didn't know what the future held. She didn't know where she was going, but the messenger of God says, God has plans for you. You matter. I want you to look how she responds in verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She gives God a name. Scholars have pointed out that no one else in the Bible gets to give God a name. But Hagar gives God a title. You are the God who sees me. This small character in this big story, this slave girl with no voice, this surrogate mother with no choice, the one mistreated by the matriarch of God's covenant people, Hagar, gives God a name, the God who sees. What you need to know this morning, what you need to know every morning and every evening and every minute in between is that God sees you. You are not invisible. God sees you. Please understand that the God who created you in his image, the God who has formed an inheritance for you, the God who has made you his child, the God who has plans for you, a future for you. God sees you. You're not invisible. You say, yeah, I, I know. I know what you're saying. God is up there watching me. He's just waiting for me to mess up. It's like he's holding a fly swatter and there's a fly somewhere in the room and he's going to find it and when he sees it he's going to swat it right I know God's watching me but the all-seeing God in this story is not the God who is watching waiting for his daughter waiting for his son waiting for his child to mess up so he can swat them so he can zap them no I I, I think he's he's looking at Hagar with the eyes of a loving parent I mean, isn't that what he's doing? He's looking at Hagar through the eyes of a loving parent. And some of you know exactly what that's like. Some of you have stood over your child's crib or your child's bed, and you have just watched as your child slept. And as you watched your child sleep, this flood of emotions and prayers and dreams and questions flooded through your mind. As you just watched your child sleep. And maybe every once in a while, I remember these days, you check, are they still breathing? Are they okay? Okay. And you just stand there and watch your child. You know what that's like to behold your precious child. Some of you know what it's like to take all kinds of photos and videos of your children, and their sporting events and their performances and there's things at school and everything else. Some of you even post some of those pictures so the whole world can see how wonderful and beautiful your children are. That's great. You know what it's like to look at your children through the eyes of a parent, a loving parent. You've watched, you've observed, you've listened, you've looked, and your eyes sometimes are able to communicate what your words just can't seem to get out, and that is this deep, abiding love for your child how God looks at you. Psalm 33 verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord even as we put our hope in you. Did you see how many times the words hope and love are repeated there? It begins with God, your eyes are on us, you're watching us. And those are the eyes of love. And because I know that you are watching me with the eyes of love, I have great hope. I have hope to keep going. I have hope to handle whatever the circumstance or the situation is. You see, that's the God who's watching over you. Your Father in heaven watches you with delight. You matter to him. You mean the world to him. There are some people in your world this week, I can assure you, who need to hear this message. And maybe this week God is using you as his messenger to convey this important message to someone at school, to someone at work, to someone in your home, to a friend, to someone you don't even know right now, someone you're going to encounter this week, they need to hear this message that they matter, that God sees them, that they aren't invisible, they aren't insignificant. They may be one of almost 8 billion people on this planet, but that doesn't mean they do not matter. Who needs to hear that message this week? Truth is, some of us need to hear it. Maybe you need to hear this message. Maybe you need to know or be reminded that God sees you, that you matter to him, that you mean the world to him. If you ever feel like you have been forgotten or left out or pushed aside, I want you to know that God sees you. If you've ever felt like on the outside looking in, And maybe you used to be on the end group, but for whatever reason now, you've been pushed aside. Maybe you have no longer anything to offer. Maybe someone is not using you or exploiting you, and they just discard you. If you feel like you're on the outside looking in, I want you to know that God sees you. If you are overwhelmed by temptation right now, if you're overwhelmed by addiction right now, I want you to know that God sees you if you are trying to do the right thing, if you're trying to live with integrity and you look around and it seems like everyone around you is doing the opposite and they are getting rewarded for it, I want you to know that God sees you. If you are suffering in silence as a victim of abuse, you need to know that God sees you. If you are grieving in silence because of a secret loss, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a pregnancy, God sees you. If your family has given up on you, if your spouse has cheated on you, if your friends have hurt you, God sees you. If you feel like the best days of your life are behind you and now your mind is slipping and your body isn't able to do what it used to do and everyone around you treats you as though you don't really have a place, you have nothing to contribute you need to know that God sees you. If you feel forgotten if you feel invisible if you feel left out you need to know that God sees you. If you are wrecked by anxiety or overcome with doubt you need to know that God sees you and if you sometimes wonder if you can be loved and you doubt that anyone could love you, hear me God sees you and he loves you and heaven forbid if you have ever wondered in your mind will anyone miss me if I wasn't here God sees you and he loves you And you matter to him. You mean the world to him. Do not forget that. Let that truth shape your thinking, your identity, and your purpose in life. God sees you. You matter to him. You mean the world to him. And if the world around you says something different, don't believe that lie. That is the work of the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light. Because we do sometimes live in a world that tries to tell us we don't matter, that we're insignificant, that we're invisible. And you know what? Sometimes, unfortunately, even those who wear the name of Christ, because we are not perfect, sometimes we do that. So if you have ever been mistreated by Christians or the church, I want you to know God sees you. God understands. I've told this story before, but The first week or two we came here back in 1994, a long time ago, I was a youth minister. We loaded up a bunch of teenagers in a couple of vans and we took them over to Lions Fun Park. Some of you have no idea what Lions Fun Park is, but there used to be on Memorial and Eastern this huge fun park where all those medical offices and office buildings are. Huge fun park, golf and go-karts and arcade. It was great. So we loaded up the teens. We take them over there. We have a great time. It's time to load up and come back to the church building. So I go through the arcade and I say, Edmund Group, we're leaving. Let's go, load up. Let's go, let's go. I was new on the job. I didn't know all the kids. I didn't recognize them. I don't know if we counted, if we didn't count, if there was a mess, mess up with the count. I don't know. But I know this. We load up, we get back to the church building, the parents are coming up, and one of the parents says to me, where's Luke? And I remember thinking, who's Luke? (laughs) That's our son. I'm like, well, look around, I don't know, maybe he's here. If he's not, take one of these other kids. I mean, you know, their parents won't mind. Take any of them you want, take all of them. Well, long story short, Luke wasn't there. Luke was still at the arcade. Actually, at that point, Luke had decided he would walk home. <laughs> he did not live near the arcade, or the fun part. We got it all ironed out. We got it all worked out. I wasn't their favorite minister for a while, but we, we worked through all of that. Did I mention I was young, week and a half on the job? I assume teenagers understood the concept of, hey, we're leaving, let's go. But see, I... I I think I assume too much and and here's the thing I didn't see Luke in the arcade because I didn't know Luke I didn't see him because I didn't know him I didn't know who I was looking for you see God sees you because he knows you he knows you he created you he has a plan for you you're his child He sees you because he knows you. I would encourage you to read Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is one of those psalms that you should read when you need a pick-me-up, when you need an identity check. The beginning words in in verse 1 of Psalm 39, Search me, O Lord, you know me. And it goes on to have this beautiful description of, of acknowledging that God knows us. He sees you because he knows you. Yes, you may be part of an almost 8 billion person population on this planet. (laughs) That doesn't mean you're insignificant and that doesn't mean you're invisible. God sees you. You matter to him. You mean the world to him. Let that shape your thinking and your identity and your purpose and your message to those around you and how you treat them. We want to be the eyes of the Lord here. We want to, to see you, and by seeing you, we want to validate you. We want to acknowledge you. We want to hear you. We want to affirm you. But we are imperfect, and sometimes, unfortunately, we overlook people. And we probably treat people as though they are invisible. And I say we because it's all of us. We are the church. We are the body of Christ may we be better at seeing with the eyes of God but I got to tell you this morning if you need to feel in a tangible way what it means to matter we want to wrap our arms around you and pray for you and encourage you in just a moment we're going to stand and sing and you can go to the parlor it's a room right behind me there'll be a couple of shepherds in there and their wives they would they would be glad to pray for you or you can come down to the front you can go to our web page and fill out a prayer form Do whatever you need to do to reach out, but we want you to know that you matter, that you're not insignificant or invisible, that you are seen. Maybe today you're ready to give your life to Christ. What a wonderful decision that is. We want to encourage you in that. That you would confess your faith in front of family and friends, your church family, and say, I believe Jesus is who he said he was. He's the son of God. He died for me. He was raised from the grave. I want to be baptized into Christ, raised to live a new life. If that's the case, we want to help you and celebrate with you today. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.
1: Be with me, Lord. I cannot live without thee. I dare not try to take one step alone. I cannot bear the loads of life unaided. I need thy strength to lean myself upon. Be with me, Lord, when loneliness o'ertakes me when I must weep amid the fires of pain, and when shall come the hour of my departure for worlds unknown? Be seated.
0: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you see us, that you see each of us, uh, and know the number of the hairs on our head, what few, some of us have. Father, we, we are thankful that you have known us since you knit us in our mother's womb, We're thankful that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, we pray that you would be with all of these kids from the three year olds all the way through the graduating seniors in college. uh, That they would be reminded that they are fearfully and wonderfully made that you have designed them for a specific purpose that you have given them individual talents that no one else has. Father, and I pray that you would help them find their calling, help them find their mission, help them find the purpose that you have designed them to to be and to do and to represent uh, you in the midst of this world. Father, I'm thankful for the faculty, the staff, the administration, and the teachers uh, that lead these kids uh, to you, and I pray that that is That is their mission amidst all of their uh, skills and talents that they call each of these children to you, Father. And I pray that their mission is to make disciples. Father, I thank you for the service today. I thank you for a chance for us to come to worship, praise you and honor you and glorify you because it is all due to you.